Thank you, Wes, for that context. And so if you remember uh, Genesis 39, we're actually going to kind of gloss over 40. But if you're, not jo- if you're just now joining us, Genesis 39, we dealt with Joseph's temptation, well, his rise to prominence in Potiphar's house, and then his temptation by Potiphar's wife, right? Uh, as we said, she was like the cougar, right? She, she preyed on him. She was the predator. He was the victim in that sense. Very different from Genesis 34, mind you, where the female was the victim and she was preyed upon. Sin affects both genders equally, all right? We are equal opportunity here. All people, male and female, are sinful, okay? That's what the Bible teaches. So we see the wife of Potiphar preying on Joseph. Joseph does the right thing. He rebukes her and flees. He does the right thing and he goes to jail for it. He kept his life, but he goes to jail. And strangely enough, over and over in that chapter, we saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Wait, but he was with Joseph as he went to jail? Yeah, the Lord was with Joseph. And we saw that sometimes you can do the right thing and still suffer for it. Sometimes you don't cheat and you come in fourth place because of it. And sometimes you tell the truth and you go to jail. And so he's in jail, and he ends up being exalted to prominence while he's in prison, in the king's jail specifically. And he ends up getting some uh, newcomers, the, chiefs, uh, the pharaoh's chief cupbearer and the pharaoh's chief baker. All right, So you have the guy who makes the wine, the bartender, and you have the baker. Okay, homemade bakery maybe, the baker. He gets thrown in jail. And both of them have a dream And one night, both of them have different dreams, same night, they both wake up extremely disturbed, okay? Now, this is going to set the the pace now for a series of dreams that are going to involve Joseph, including the next chapter, 42, looping it all back around to Joseph's original dream back in chapter 37, all right? So this is setting the pace now for these dreams. The cupbearer asks Joseph... Joseph takes a crack at it. You know, the Lord reveals these things. So uh, tell me your dream, and I'll do my best to interpret it. And he ends up getting a good word. Hey, in three days, you're going to be restored to your position as cupbearer. Yeah, sweet. Praise God. And the baker hears this and and says, hey, the man of God's giving out good news. Hey, hey, how how about my dream? Let me tell you my dream. He tells him the details of his dream, and Joseph tells him in three days, you will be lifted up to Joseph and he will lift off your head and you'll be hanged and the birds of the, of the air will eat your flesh. Can I have another interpreter, please? Another, anybody else in this jail interpret? Okay, and so that's what happens. And it happens just as Joseph says. In three days, the cupbearer is restored to his position and in three days, the baker is killed on Pharaoh's birthday. Happy birthday, right? I heard one pastor say it like this. He's like, hey, Pharaoh, for your birthday, I made you a cake. And Pharaoh's like, for your birthday, I made you a noose, right? So that's what happened, and he died, all right? That's how it went, and he died, and it happened just as Joseph said. Joseph asked the cupbearer, a really nice guy, hey, when you get restored to your former position, will you mention me? Will you re- remember me? 
to get me out of here. And so the cupbearer gets restored to his former position, and, and what do you think happens? He forgets about him. Totally forgets about him. For how long? Two years. Two more years. So how long has Joseph been in jail now? We don't really know quite sure at this point. But for two more years, he's forgotten about. And he doesn't know it's going to be two years. So for him, it's just like, I'm, I'm stuck here. And again, as we saw in chapter 37, God's providence. Chapter 38, God's providence. Chapter 39, God's providence. Do you think it was a coincidence that the cupbearer forgot Joseph? You think it was a coincidence that two years later he remembered Joseph? Or was it all in God's timing? And so this sets the stage for our passage today. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would bless our time together in your word as we try to honor Christ, as we strive to exalt and magnify him. And Father, we do pray as we sing that you would hasten the day, Lord, when our faith shall be sight, the day that we see the clouds rolled back like a scroll. And when the Lord Jesus Christ descends, Father, may we say, even so it is well with our soul. Lord, would that day be today if it would so please you? And Father, if not, I pray that as Jesus Christ is Lord, is exalted, that there would be everybody in this room that you would draw them to bow the knee before King Jesus, our greater Joseph. I ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. All right, point number one, tempted by pain, tested by prosperity. Point number one, tempted by pain, tested by prosperity. Point number two, if you're taking notes, will be forget and increase. Forget and increase. And point number three will be go to Joseph. Go to Joseph. All right, so here we are. Joseph comes, and finally the cupbearer remembers him. And Joseph, uh, sorry, Pharaoh has these series of dreams, two of them in particular. One of them involves this cow. And actually, the Hebrew, uh, your text will say he was ugly and thin. But the Hebrew is actually says literally he was evil in appearance and thin. It's, it's, more vague, or it's more acute than the description here. It's not just ugly. He, Pharaoh had nightmares about this cow that came and ate this fat cow. And you would think that after he eats a big cow like a snake, he would have a big bulge in his stomach. But he was just as thin and lean and ugly and evil looking as before. Whenever I was reading this, I was like, it's like a zombie. The cow's like a zombie cow, right? That's what it looked like. It's a zombie cow that he had a dream of. It's a nightmare. He wakes up. He's troubled. He falls back asleep. Have you ever had this? Maybe a, a nightmare, and then you wake up and you fall asleep and you have another nightmare? This happened to me the other night. I think I had like four dreams within themselves. I, didn't, I, I felt like I was inception. I didn't even know if I was awake when I was awake. It was really strange. It doesn't happen to me like that often, okay? So this is what happens to Pharaoh. He wakes up, and he falls back asleep and has another dream. This time, it's the same type of deal, but now we're dealing with corn. And the same thing happens. 
He wakes up and he calls all of his magicians, all of his wise men, all of his interpreters, all of his religious priests, everybody he has, and says, come in here. Now, mind you now, Egypt at this time period is the most powerful nation in the world. So this isn't a, a little island kingdom like maybe North Korea or something like that, right? This is the most powerful nation in the world. The reign of the Egyptians would be longer cumulatively than the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire together. It's a powerful, powerful nation. And so he summons all of his people, and not a single one of them can give him the interpretation. Not a single one. It's also important to note now that Pharaoh just like the Caesars and many emperors of history, believed themselves, fancied themselves to be gods, that he was a god. And now he has a dream which nobody can interpret. And then the cupbearer says, you know the story? Oh, by the way, I forgot, Pharaoh. I'm sorry, but there's this guy in jail. He interpreted my dream. Maybe he can help you too. Immediately. The Bible says quickly, right then, you get the sense that Pharaoh called for Joseph. You remember Joseph is now probably uh, his, about my age, late 20s, early 30s. Actually, he's 30 because it says he was 30 when he entered the service of Pharaoh the king. He's young, he's handsome, he's full-on bearded, he's been in a jail cell, he's filthy, his clothes are nasty, he stinks, he's been in a pit, it's gross. They draw him up immediately, they shave him, so now I'm thinking Joseph looks a little bit like myself, all right? So that's just, you know, handsome, shaved, good-looking, right? All that, no, no, right? So that's what Joseph, they shave him, they shave his beard, he's, he's very now clean-shaven, I'm thinking like The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, okay? That's what he looks like now. He's drawn into the court of Pharaoh, gives him the interpretation, and is exalted to power, second in command. I think the typical interpretation of this is that most of us are prone to look at this as the pinnacle of Joseph's life. Finally, the payoff. He suffered, he's been betrayed, he's been falsely accused. Finally, finally, this is the happy ending. Right? You would picture Joseph being pulled from prison, shaved, and Hollywood music in the background, the orchestras crescendoing, and, and then Joseph walks out in his robe and his ring and lives happily ever after. Right? That's, that's the interpretation we know. And then what we do is we insert ourselves into the passage and we replace Joseph for me. And we apply it that way and we say, if you just persevere, if you're just faithful to God, if you just stick it out, if you just keep going, if you don't give up, if you do this, you too might be like Joseph, exalted to power, redeemed. We do this, right? This is the application we all know. This is the application I give you. I give you. This is, and this is not a bad, altogether incorrect application, but it's missing the primary purpose of this. You say, what is the primary purpose of this? Well, let's look at it with new eyes. Where is Joseph? Egypt, Egypt right? Egypt, not a trick question. What is Joseph? Is he free or is he a slave? He's a slave. So he comes out of jail in prison, where he's an imprisoned slave, which is pretty low way down there, okay? 
And now he's a slave in the service of Pharaoh. Now, let me mind you now, yes, that is a good position for a slave to be in, but it's still a slave. He's still not free. And what we find is that Joseph was tempted by his brother's betrayal, by Potiphar's wife in adversity, by being thrown in prison in trial, now he's in a potentially more dangerous situation because he's not tested by trial right now. He's tested by prosperity. The trial is the prosperity. It's not pain. It's not suffering. It's actually the extreme opposite. And this is actually very, very dangerous. If you thought the betrayal presented times for sin and stumbling, or if Potiphar's wife, the sexual temptation presented times for sin and stumbling, brothers and sisters, this is where we mostly will identify with Joseph's life. It's actually times of prosperity. Many, many, many of God's people have fallen by prosperity. Amen. Not by the other stuff. Thomas Watson, I believe the quote will be up here on the screen. He says this, How soon are we broken on the soft pillow of ease? Adam in paradise was overcome when Jacob on the dunghill was a conqueror, or Job on the dunghill was a conqueror. How soon are we overcome by prosperity? And so Billy, no, this wasn't Billy Sunday. He said something else. Uh, I forget who says this. The saying goes, when it's easy to live, it's easy to fall. Have you seen that? Does that bear out? When it's easy to live, it's easy to fall. Is this true in your life? Think about it. Do trials and hardships and pain, as much as they hurt, do you tend to stray and fall away from Christ, or do you find that they draw you nearer to the cross? Many of us find that that's the time we pray the most. It's when things are hard. I haven't prayed maybe for five years, and now something happens, and I'm praying, I need help, I need counsel, please help me. Praise God, that's what they're meant to do. But how many of you, in times of triumph, find your heart go cold and dim? Perhaps you trust in your own merits, your own works. Maybe you start to think, you know what, I got this, I got this. See, times of prosperity are dangerous. How are you doing right now? Maybe you're in that group that says, I'm doing pretty good, man. We got it all together. How's your relationship with Christ? How's your relationship with his church? John Calvin, the theologian, French theologian, said, prosperity inebriates men so that they take delights in their own merits. That inebriates men, so that they take delights in their own merits. Another Puritan said, religion breeds prosperity, and the daughter has devoured the mother. 
Think about that. Religion breeds prosperity, and the daughter has devoured the mother. If you're thinking, maybe that's you, perhaps your relationship with God is not quite as good as your relationship with the bank, then beware. Be warned. The worst thing you can do this morning is to sit in your seats and do nothing. If that's you and you're finding your prosperity has lulled your soul to sleep, the worst thing you can do is sit there in your pew this morning. And when the prayer, the final closing prayer and benediction is over, you walk out the door and do nothing. That's the worst thing you can do. What's the best thing you can do then? Well, we'll get there at the end. We're not at point three yet. Stick around. Number two, forget and increase. Forget and increase. What is that about? So as Joseph is there, he's prospering in Egypt. He's been clothed with garments. The Pharaoh has taken off the ring from his own hand, his signet ring, and placed it on Joseph's hand. He now rides second in command, all right? So when the presidential caravan comes through and you got all the limousines and bulletproof cars, right behind the president is who? Joseph. And calling out as he rides around Egypt, there's a man that's calling out, bow the knee, bow the knee, make way, prepare. That's Joseph now. Interesting, there would be another forerunner before a king one day. And he would come before him and he would call out, Make straight the way of the Lord. Prepare. Prepare. John the Baptist, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord. Bow the knee. Interesting. As Joseph's prospering, there is this monumental identity struggle happening in Joseph's heart. Joseph is in trouble, believe it or not. We look at it through the lens of prosperity because America values these types of stories. Our movies are blockbusters based off these types of stories. And so we look at it through the lens of, yes, this is it. Joseph's in trouble right now, brothers and sisters. Make no mistake about it. There is an identity struggle happening in Joseph's Heart. He is being, for lack of a better word, Egyptianized. You say, why is that a problem? Because he is not an Egyptian. He has been called out of those people. His family has been called out of those pagans. And now God is making them a people who will identify with him. And now Joseph is in danger of going back into and losing his identity. By the time his sons are born... Joseph's been in Egypt for half of his life. More than half of his life, he's been in Egypt. He's second in command. His boss is an Egyptian. He has been given an Egyptian name that not only does Uncle West not know how to say, I don't know how to say. Funny, whenever Daniel and Babylon and his friends are given Egyptian names, is that a bad thing or a good thing? It's a bad thing. They're trying to purge them of who they are nationally. It's the same thing here. When Pharaoh gives Joseph a new name, that's a bad thing. He's given an Egyptian wife from a very prestigious family, mind you. 
Potiphera, priest of On. That would be like today, Joseph getting married to the Pope's daughter. Okay, so if the Pope had a daughter, yeah, that's my wife, all right? That's what it would be like. He was the chief priest of Ra, the god of the sun. He's got an Egyptian wife from a very prestigious Egyptian family. His father-in-law is the high Egyptian priest. He speaks Egyptian. Everything he knows is Egyptian. And the majority of his family that he came from has abandoned him and betrayed him. And his mother is dead on top of that. Who in here would not be tempted to just say, I'm an Egyptian, yeah. I'm just going to, I mean, look at what the gods of Egypt have gotten me. I've been faithful to my God, and I've been thrown in jail, betrayed by my brother, falsely accused. But these gods of Egypt, they're not so bad, man. They're not so bad. Most powerful country on the planet. He's having an identity struggle this moment. And remember, there is no nation of Israel at this time. The nation, as you know, it doesn't exist yet. It's just a small band of people. So why, why worry about the allegiance to who? It's just a clan of people. As Uncle Wes said, the fact that I have a new phone number now, a Hawaii phone number, is, is indicative that, that my ties with Georgia, I love Georgia. That's my, that's my motherland right there. I consider that my motherland, okay? I love it and I miss it, but I'm here. I'm here. Praise God. How come I don't hear more amens like that, man? Come on, dude. What's up with that, right? Right? <laughs> right? I'm here. I'm here, right? This is, I am becoming, I am assimilating into the culture. That's where Joseph was at. Does he fully assimilate and take the gods of the Egyptians? Or does he stay true to his identity as a Hebrew? The birth of his sons now present the opportunity to express this identity. Who has children in here? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Children? Children? Okay. Hands down. Is it not a big deal to name your child? Like, that's just, that was the most, I mean, this is going to be this child's name forever. I don't want to make it and, like, screw it up so he's got a dumb name and he's got to live with that for the rest of his life, all right? Uh, I've heard of, uh, you know, the, the funny name things, right? Absidy, anybody heard of that? Somebody told me about that. Absidy, if your name is Absidy in here, A-B-C-D-E, Absidy, right? Okay, no Absidies in here, so nobody will be offended, all right? So I heard about that as a name that people are actually naming their children, Absidy. <laughs> Right? It's a big deal to name your children. It's a big deal often with your family, depending on where your culture is. It'll be a family name. And it is no different here. And so the names that Joseph chooses are massively significant for where Joseph is spiritually and where his sons will be spiritually. Against all expectations, you would think, Given everything I just said, that Joseph would give his son Egyptian names. You would think Joseph's wife thought they would give their sons Egyptian names. You would think Joseph's father-in-law, the high priest of Ra, would give their sons Egyptian names. Second in command. 
And against all expectations, Joseph names his sons Manasseh and Ephraim. I wonder how his in-laws felt about that. I wonder what Pharaoh thought about that. What is, the demonst- what is the significance of this? Well, let's check it out. Manasseh, remember the point, forget and increase. It comes from their names. Manasseh means literally to forget or forget. And this name portrays God's grace. This is God's grace in Joseph's life as the powerful spurned Joseph still chooses to identify with the covenant people of God. Isn't that crazy? Don't miss that. He is still choosing after all these years to identify with the covenant people of God. You know what this means? It means that Joseph is choosing, and this is a choice, he is choosing not to be defined by his past, but by the future promises of God. That is huge. It doesn't mean that he's forgotten his past. It doesn't mean that he just forgets it all now that his son is here. It means that he's not letting his circumstances from the past determine who he is before God. This recalls somebody else's circumstance in the Bible Another lady who also had a hard lot, and her name was Naomi. You remember? And she said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Marah. Bitter. I'm just bitter. That's the way some people are here. That's the way some of us respond. We've had a hard lot, man. People have sinned against us, falsely accused us, thrown in jail, sometimes literally, okay, We've just had a hard life. Things have not gone our way. Our families have betrayed us. They, they don't talk to us. We're the black sheep, maybe, even of the family. And we can just get prone to get bitter, jaded. Maybe church families have scorned you at some point in the past, and so we just reject the people of God because they're just all hypocrites anyways. But Joseph is choosing not to let his circumstances define who he is. That's nothing short of miraculous. Considering all he's gone through, that's nothing short of the work of God in his life. It's also a a reminder to name his son Manasseh, a Hebrew name, is a reminder that he rejects all of the pagan gods, the, the Egyptian pantheon of Egypt. He rejects them all as empty and fruitless. Why? Because not a single one of them could give Pharaoh the interpretation, but the Most High God, El. He rejects them all, and instead, I will be a servant, my son, you will be a servant of the Most High God. Manasseh, forget. Ephraim, increase. Or fruitful. This is also insightful, and this is what he gives as the explanation for Ephraim's name. This is huge, okay? This is, don't look at verse 52, okay? Verse 52, 41, verse 52. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Period. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Why is that significant? 
Because not only is he rejecting the Egyptian pantheon, he's rejecting everything about Egypt and that it's brought him. You say, why is that a big deal? Because right now, Joseph has wealth. He has power, success, a prestigious family, chariots, cattle, land, everything he could want. Everything Egypt has given him that he could want. And what does he call it? The land of my affliction. The land of my hardship. And in so doing, he identifies himself as a Hebrew among Egyptians. He seals the deal. I am a Hebrew. My family is Hebrew, and we will remain Hebrews. He'd rather be identified with a shepherd, a shepherd, than with the most powerful man in the world. What a testimony. After all these years, Joseph clinged to the promise of God that he had heard about from his father Israel. He clinged to the promise that God had given Abraham, the promise God had given Isaac, the promise God had given his own dad, even with little to no direct revelation to him. And he clinged to the promises of God. You say, what is the application here? Brothers and sisters, no matter how good this life gets, no matter how wealthy and good your business goes and how great your family is and all of these things, no matter how good it gets, it will always be Egypt. This will always be the land of our affliction. This is not our home. It will always fall short. You will never you will never be satisfied in this life apart from the presence of God with the people of God. It'll always be Egypt. Always. Don't be mistaken, though. There are some in here who think you will be in God's presence when you will not. You will not be in God's presence if you do not identify with God's promises. Calling yourself, merely calling yourself a Christian won't cut it. I wish it did, because that would make my role as pastor much easier, all right? All I'd have to do is get you to say, say you're a Christian, right? And that's super easy. But if you don't identify with God's promises then you won't be in God's presence, which takes us to the final point. Go to Joseph. So a while ago, I said the worst thing you can do is sit there and do nothing. And I said, what's the best thing you can do? Number three, go to Joseph. Pharaoh says to the Egyptians, the, the, the years of seven plentiful uh, crop harvesting years come, and they, they, Joseph puts his plan in action to save up enough grain. And just as he, his dreams had said, the seven years of famine come. God brings seven years of famine. And the Egyptians begin to cry out, and Pharaoh 
says, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. Brothers and sisters, here we go. You guys are wondering, where is Joseph in the last few chapters, or Jesus in the last few chapters? Here he is. You ready? We have a greater Joseph. One who is also faithful to his father, who was betrayed by his brothers, who was falsely accused, he was unjustly arrested, he was between two prisoners, two thieves, and he rose from the pit and he was exalted to power. And now, now King Jesus, the greater Joseph, the one who says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now King Jesus, the one be whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that Jesus is the only distributor of the bread of life. He is the only one that you can go to when your soul is starved, when you don't know whether I'm, I'm going to make it tomorrow. He's the only one that you can go to for life. And just as Pharaoh told all the Egyptians during the time of famine, God now tells everybody, whatever Jesus says to you, do. Do. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me that you might have life. Repent and believe. Turn from your wicked ways and come. And whoever comes, I will in no wise cast out. Whoever comes to me will have rivers of water, streams of living water flowing out of them. Jesus is the only one, friends. Jesus. Jesus is the only one who stands between God and men as a mediator. Every other religion, some of you have tried this, every other religion and spirituality. We live in Maui, man, and we are just a very spiritual place. Every other religious ideal will lead you searching for more. It won't satisfy. Some of you have tried it. Some of you are trying it right now. It just doesn't work. And it never will. At the end of the day, some of you are doing better than others. And at the end of the day, you might feel like things are well, like I've got it good. I'm not that guy, Pastor Randy. You say, you know, there's people in here who it's not working for. Well, for me, that's not me. It's working fine for me. I'm good. Thank you. Dear friend, please realize it will always be Egypt. It will come crashing down. There is a famine in the land. There is a famine in this room for some people. And Jesus has stated, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Would you come today? I'm pleading with you. Would you come today and have your soul satisfied in Christ, the greater Joseph? Whatever he says to you, do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is so relevant for us. 
Lord, there are some in here who are currently letting their past define them. Maybe they're struggling with bitterness and hatred and anger. They are being defined by their past. Lord, I pray that they would see that that doesn't have to be, that there's a better way, that they can come to Christ and know what your promises are for them. And Lord, there are some today who are just utterly famished, Lord. Their souls are as hard as a rock. And they're hungry. Lord, I pray that you would draw them this morning. I pray that they would come to Jesus, that they would turn from their ways and find life. I ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.